0: I'm Sarah Myerskoff, and this is the Insurance Brokers Podcast, where we're talking to the personalities and the businesses that sit behind our industry. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your chosen podcast streaming platform. Good morning to you both. I'm really grateful to have you on the Insurance Brokers Podcast. I think we're going to have a very fun conversation, so I'm looking forward to it. Mark, Ed, thank you for being here. Mark, do you want to introduce you and Hub?
1: Hi, Sarah. Um, Yeah, Mark Costello, Chief Exec at HUB. We are Broking 2.0, using technology to radically change the way broking's done. Um, We started trading in April last year. We've went from three full-time staff then to 41, I think, as of yesterday. Rapidly growing, rapidly growing, lots of grey hair as well, but it's a lot of fun
0: i <laughs> just talking to you both. I can see it's a lot of fun. Um, Ed, do you want to introduce yourself and your role um, at Hub? Yeah,
2: absolutely. So I'm Ed Halsey, COO of Hub and co-founder with Mark. Um, so my role is to, to make everything happen. Uh, we, we've got lots of ideas within the business, and I think that's really important around innovating and it's my job to actually take those ideas and bring them to fruition and to put them through the, the the grinder and make sure that they're the right things to do for the business engage the right stakeholders in them and, and that's a really important part of the innovation process
1: i'm a bit like colombo it's just just another thing just another thing right <laughs>
0: um I, there it, it's well known every great partnership has those two connecting uh uh uh, people and and if you don't then you've got loads of ideas and no way to put them in place or lots of traction but no really great ideas so i think it's wonderful okay so having looked uh, i follow you both on uh, social media uh ed particularly you've got a lot of great things to say and i love reading your posts uh your website looks great you've got a lot of very fresh kind of ideas and thoughts i'm going to start with the metaverse I'm really interested in this because I thought it only existed in Avengers. Uh, So talk to me. What do you mean when you say you are the first metaverse uh, insurance brokers or the first metaverse ready insurance brokers? Question to either of you.
2: So, So I'll take that one. I think I think the metaverse for me, it goes into a wider principle within the business that we have, which is I think insurance has a. I'm going to use the word, but I think there's a little bit of arrogance about us, that we we expect customers to uh, do what we want. We expect them to meet us where we are, to do things on our terms. And I think it's about meeting, and we use this phrase a lot within the business, it's about meeting customers where they are physically, mentally, uh, technologically, and going to the places where they are, where they want to operate, trading the way they want to trade. And the metaverse is just a part of that. So it's, it's for us, the metaverse is about, if that's where you want to meet us, if you have a need or you see benefit in meeting us there, we'll be ready for you. We'll be ready to see you there in the same way as if you need us to come and see you, we'll be able to see you there. If you want to be able to self-service, you'll be able to do that. It's about giving the customer options. So it's, it's a very small part. It doesn't mean that everything we do is in the metaverse and you can't trade with us without, it's just about taking that new technology investigating it, seeing how we can draw benefit from it as a business and failing fast on some things and making sure that we're really open-minded to all new technology that's out there, all new things that are out there and how that might benefit us, but more importantly the customer.
0: How do you manage, and this might be a question for you Mark or or maybe not, who knows, um, how do you manage I read on on one of your blogs or, or a social post about New employees. You mentioned earlier you've gone from three employees uh, to 41, 41. three employees to 41 in a year. So you're obviously onboarding uh, people. And I um, presume that some of those people are in the earlier stage of their careers. How do you onboard in the metaverse when learning by osmosis is much, much harder? And what do you mean in that article that I've read that says you've failed and found new ways and still going?
2: Yeah,
1: okay, so let me just give you my view and what the metaverse is and let Ed's less glossy view of it. Um, <laughs> uh, so when Ed mentioned the metaverse, I was like, No way are we doing this, this is nonsense, right? So I got one of those stupid headset things and he sent it to me. I was like, Oh god, I'm not putting that on. Um, but I put it on, and basically. And, and this goes back to a conversation I had yesterday. I met one of our investors in London yesterday, and he said, I said, what's the main reason we you invested in us? And he said, because you're a Scotsman and you're really tight with money and you make it go far. And I was like, thanks for that. But 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 what the metaverse does, right, you, this is fine having a chat like this on a screen, three people. But when you try and have bigger sessions than, you know, three people on teams and whatever, it doesn't work because it's just they're talking over each other. What the metaverse does, and you get the first 10 minutes, you put it on, and you're pretending to punch each other in the face and all that stuff inside, inside Horizon workrooms. We've done all that for 10 minutes. But it does feel like you're actually sat in a room, because it picks up on people's body language. So what we then have is training facilities, virtually online, in a room, where you feel like you're in a room, there's a big screen there you can put presentations up on. You can't be in it all day, but you can do ever sessions in there, no problem at all. So like when we are putting our decks together for investors or to go to insurers with about ideas, we get in there, we do it in there, and then we can run training sessions in there so people can feel like they're sat in a room. And that's what it does. And what I have a question
0: is- for you. Um, what is the the software that you're using? Because to me, it sounds like you're talking like a piece of software rather than the, you know, the vision of the metaverse being together, connected all the time. So so I've, I've obviously missed something. What? What's...
2: So we use, primarily, we use Horizon Workroom um, okay. or Workrooms, which is the, it, it's one of Meta's offerings for it, which is just because it's really easily, it's there, it's configurable, it works for us, it's quick, it's got the functionality we need. We've used a little bit of spatial as well. Spatial was a bit about um, you can build, it. there's a lot more customization in there. You can build your own environment and the like. And um, we've used that as well. But we actually found it's a bit like um, it's too big. It's too broad. Actually, the narrowness of Horizon Workroom and being able to use. And, and maybe that's actually the point is is it's less about the metaverse and it's more about um, virtual reality for us. It's about bringing everyone in and, and the two things are intertwined but also, often interchangeable in terms of terminology. It's a cheap way of getting everybody together
1: and it means that um, we can employ from wherever we want in the country or, or abroad right, so we've, we've got some tech people in Portugal, it just means that we can have everybody in a room simple as that
0: I love it. I absolutely love it. And I definitely think it's the way that the world is going. But I did do a podcast with um, a client of ours who they are global. They're, they're a small company, relatively new, but but global. And they're global because they are employing talent globally. And so the yeah. podcast was around this working from home, working in an office face to face, how how you keep that learning by osmosis and you keep the, the culture and the feel Without um, having to have, have having to have an office, so moving from the metaverse but still related um, your ideology is about uh, bringing the right people wherever they might be, having this virtual reality within hub and doing this with your customer at the end the the, the kind of focal point every decision seems to be back to does this work for the customer then uh, then it works for us. Tell me a little bit about the frustrations you had at the beginning in 2019 that led to this um, this idea. And would you know, would you have envisaged that here, a year on from trading, you'd be where you are, given where you started in 2019?
1: Yeah, right. Okay. So frustrations. I've been a broker most of my life. And I just seen brokers had became completely reliant on acquisitions to build their business. And had just almost given up on sales and winning new customers. And being able to differentiate from the next broker to the next had gone, it become homogenized. And we just thought there was a huge gap to give the customer something different. Right. And we, we we don't look and feel like a traditional insurance broker. We just don't. And that's very deliberate. Challenges to get here have been unbelievable. So with pandemics, couldn't get authorised for nearly a year because of that. Did I envisage we'd have got here as quick as we have? Probably not, but I knew we would get pace, but probably not the pace we have. I mean, we're probably inside the top 80 or 90 brokers by volume in the UK within 18 months of trading. That takes some doing. And the technology is moving at real pace. And we've actually done an acquisition in that space as well. So we bought a tech business. We didn't buy another broker. We bought a tech business called Digital Fine or DFP, which massively accelerated the tech that we had in-house. And it massively accelerated the IP and the talent that it brought to the business for technology.
0: Would you say your tech first, insurance second, or the other way around, or you wouldn't go there? We're customer first. And that that's
1: not me trying to be corny. We're customer first. That's what we are. Um the the I think that um insurance will always be the bedrock of what we do, right? So that's the we're not going to start selling multiple different verticals of stuff. We're an insurance business, but we're customer first.
2: I think Mark hit the nail on the head. It's it's customer first in everything we do. I think that the difference between is it is it tech or is it insurance? It's whatever it needs to be for whatever it is we're doing at that moment in time. It's certainly not throwing tech at problems for the sake of throwing tech at problems. Um it's using technology to augment and improve the experience that the customer has, the experience that our employees have, and and ultimately to take out all of that. Um, petty admin that they're working on day to day to minimize that as much as possible so that we've got insurance people providing insurance advice, giving customers the support that they want and not wasting you know 63% of their day on administration or up to 63% of their day on administration, actually doing the stuff that we pay them for using the experience they've got to give the advice that the customer really wants as efficiently as possible.
0: So if we're talking about operational efficiencies, here's a, here's a here's a a question for you. How operational efficiencies is one of the main things that insure tech, big big umbrella, talk about. How are you different? Because because most of the insure tech's
1: big umbrella are trying to sell software into the incumbent market. We are building our own marketplace, right? So we're building our own customer bank. We control the customer's uh, Ed used to sell tech or tried to sell tech and insurance businesses. Um, <laughs> Shut yeah. down, yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, <laughs> <so> <laughs>
2: that makes it sound like I'm saying you were rubbish at sales. Uh, yeah, so I <laughs> did it. It was a failure at everything else I did, so I came <laughs> and did this instead. Yeah, but, but
1: my... the D, the D, uh, DFP who we bought trying to sell tech and insurance companies and. It doesn't work, right? Because a they've got they've got legacy systems they can't integrate with, and b the person trying to sell it to in a lot of cases is a guy whose jobs at line if he buys the tech, right? So it's turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Our industry is, you know, beyond archaic as far as technology is concerned, right? I mean, the last broker I worked in still had a fax machine going. Um, mm. just people people walking about with completely unstructured data for their clients and bits of post-it note and all that stuff creating errors and omissions creating problems that that that, you, you can't you can't be tech first right going back to your previous point because you can't be tech first and then go into legacy businesses because tech only works if the staff work in an agile agile way and if their idea of agile is leaving at five to twelve so that the first in the lamb to get a pint at twelve o'clock. That ain't agile.
2: I think at, at one of my one of my friends who I talk to a lot and, and you'll have seen me with Sarah on social media, Emma Roloff sums it up really well. And it's that digital transformation starts with the people. And I think we've got a real dearth of digital talent within the insurance industry. And I think that's a real problem. For the future of our industry, if we can't attract that talent, um, we really need to bring in people from other industries with fresh ideas and enable them to optimize all those processes. As you said, bring them in, let them flourish, give them, uh, you know, give them the kind of uh, foundation, give them the kind of uh, industry that accepts that, that wants it, that brings it in. I, I had a great example, um, a conversation I had with Mark, and he said some of the some of the issue with insure tech at the moment is you've either got insurance people playing at tech or you've got tech people playing with insurance and where the ones that have really succeeded are, are the ones that have managed to not only marry those marry those two but there's a third one and it's the third one and we we think it's the most important and that's who've managed to marry in how to then sell that how to distribute that into the industry i think it's the one that people often forget we saw a quite recently from a VC in which they said, first time founders obsess over product, second time founders obsess over distribution. And I know that Mark, John and I, every night when we go to bed, not together, when we go to bed <laughs> separately, um, we, we very much, we go to bed thinking about where's the next million pounds coming from? Where's the next million pounds coming from? That's the only thing we think about. And because I think everything else comes off the back of that. If you're thinking, where does it come from? You then understand who the customer is. You understand what that customer wants. You understand what you're going to have to do. And everything moves towards it. Building a great product is pointless if you have no market to point it at. And nobody who, who can and or wants to buy it.
0: I think that's um, that, that came across in something I read. It was on one of your um, social media uh, uh, posts. And it was about... Um, the lessons you learned in the last couple of years and 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 the i think the, the phrase was something like wake up every morning knowing where your next million pound premium is is, is coming from um yeah what yeah. other lessons would you say both personally and professionally you've learned over the last two three years since since starting hub i mean
1: how to be tough as teachers, is what we've learned right because we've basically bootstrapped this business to date. um so Having that stress of making payroll month after month after month, that ain't easy. And it's especially not easy, going back to what Ed said at the start, where I came up with crazy ideas and he's a poor guy that's got to try and make it all hang together. Every time we get to a cash flow positive position, I go out and go, right, let's hire those five people there that are going to make a huge difference. And then we're back where we started. Um, so uh, that that's what, that's what we've learned. And what we've also learned is that attitude's much more important than skill set. So we've got a team full of people. And I mean, brimming with people. And we've got a real real variety of backgrounds of people. We've got people from banking, people from insurance, people from tech, obviously. But we've got a a group of people who just get stuff done. And getting shit done is really like our mantra as a business. Because we work agile and we build the tech to to meet the needs of the customers we've got. Because I think people build tech with features without asking if anybody wants the feature. (laughs) It
0: just seems mad to me. Or can understand how the bloody hell you use the feature. That's one of my big problems. (laughs) Absolutely. What about you, Ed? What's your biggest professional, personal uh, lesson from the last three years?
2: I I think... um... I, th- I think Mark alluded to I think Mark alluded to the first one which is how important the team is um, I think having a team that you can trust that you can rely on that are all pulling in the same direction that are all willing to move at pace um, pace has been a really important one for us um, we need people to come in and go I'm not I, I'm not gonna think like I thought when I was at that sleepy broker or that 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 big corporate where I could go, well, wow, I could get it done this week, or I could just take another month to get that. It doesn't really matter. It's like, no, it needs to be done this week. We need to get it that done. That's that's really, really, really important. Um, and we've built that team. And we, I think that's one of the things I'm proudest of is the team that we've, we've brought together um, because I, I would take a bullet for every one of them. And I feel like they would do the same for me. We're all pulling in the same direction. We all believe in this mission I think mission is another, probably the other really important one. I think it's really easy as a startup to get distracted. Um, You see something shiny over there or shiny over there, and you want to go, oh, we could go and do that. We could pivot. We could do this. Just be really clear on what you want to achieve and then laser-focused on execution. There is no point having a great idea if you don't execute it and finish that execution. Don't get it half done and then go off on another tangent if it was important enough for you to start it, it's sure as hell important enough for you to finish it. So make sure that everyone understands that we finished when um, this is done when it's finished. We're not putting it down until it's there because it was important and it's part of the strategy.
1: I think we also have got a culture of always assuming that we've got a way to go to get things perfect. Because I think that that's an expression that VC world uses a lot pivoting now, to me, pivoting doesn't mean changing direction, getting in a new car, and going somewhere else. Right? That's not a pivot. That's 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 just changing everything. You've got to swerve, right? So you've got to run like Messi with the ball. Although me running like Messi with a ball would be horrific to watch, right? <laughs> but, but but you need to pivot. But it's just micro pivoting all the time, and and always being focused on where you're going but always assuming that you can do it better than you're doing it today. If you're always assuming that there's growth and making things better, then you, you, that
2: thirst to get there never quells. I think one you'll you'll appreciate as well, Sarah, that it was actually in that top 10 list and, and given your role, I think you'll appreciate this one. If it's one bit of advice I can give to any business, it is, and, and one skill you need to learn, become an amazing copywriter. Um, Communications is everything, and um, that's internally, that's externally, it's your pitch decks, it's your website. You need people within the business who can really clearly articulate everything and can pump out that that really inspiring email on a Friday afternoon, you know, when everyone's had a rough day, or that really laser-focused, this is the mission on what we're going to be doing next, or this is the project plan. And then that's before you even get into social media, which is another whole animal in itself. But the ability to write and articulate yourself clearly is a hugely underestimated skill. And it's one that we've all worked on really hard as a business. Um, And I think now we all write with quite a bit of consistency, don't we, Mark, in terms of the phrasing that we use and how we articulate it and how we explain things. Um, A lot of that's from spending a lot of time together. I'm but it also
0: some... comes from having a very clear vision and mission and and culture, communication being clear and articulate and focused comes from the back work of the vision, the mission and the people uh, all being on the same page and then distributing that communication, whether it's social media, internally, externally, emails, conversations uh, uh, is almost a secondary skill. Mm. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Comms is comms is everything. Your ability to communicate, and and I say copywriting. That's a that that's I I call that out because communication above that is kind of a more obvious one that I think certainly as a COO, a CEO, a, a founder of a business, you've got to be good at that. Everyone thinks of that, but it it is that copywriting bit that I think people forget. Not many uh, writing is a real skill, um, and it's one that we've we've fallen into. Lots, I think luckily we've got lots of people who can do that within our business and it's been a real benefit.
0: And I think another thing that you've written about and that, that you're touching on here is once you've got the messaging, it, it's repeated in different guises, different different channels, but get the message right, get the people thinking as, alongside the message and then it's just about how you sort of re-spin it. You're not having to reinvent the wheel every time, get the foundation right and then and then you can and and the foundation from actual words to uh, actual distribution those are those are really important things as we see them so it's nice that that this conversation just happened
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i think one of the other things the lessons that i think that i've learned in this is get as many smart harsh people around you as you can and be completely open to criticism so we've got Guy called Peter Harvey, ex chief executive Barclays Business Bank, and he runs our advisory board. I mean, you you just you don't get to be chief executive Barclays unless you're going to tell people how it is, and he tells us how it is. And we've got Andy Ria, who's ex chief executive Munich Re and ran Munich Re's venture business. Again, they just tell you how it is. Um, and we've got Sonia Homewood, who was CEO. At RSA again, these types of people round about your business who'll tell you as it is. And then the other thing that this almost happened accidentally, right? So I'm not going to say it was any great master stroke, but we have a like a a, a team stand-up that's for all the team once a month, but every six weeks we have what's the thing we call we invite the investors to it, Ed the uh the roadmap, the roadmap, roadmap session every six weeks. So so what we're doing, we're inviting our investors to come and get to see what the team say and what the team are doing and having that level of transparency basically baring your throat so that somebody can, can have a go at you, that just keeps you completely laser-focused on making sure that everybody gets the message because we've got people on those stand-ups and that, especially that roadmap session, in our team who will tell it exactly as they see it. So, you have to be consistent, or, you know, because what we don't want is having this shiny thing that I communicate with investors up here, which isn't actually what's going on. And it's not that just to be transparent to the investors, it's not about that. It's actually about keeping that laser focus.
0: Transparency and communication are coming across. Uh, very strongly which I think is amazing um, as is focus focus is 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 the skill that I am trying to work on because I'm a, I have shiny penny syndrome uh, in in every and I don't Should differentiate hello personal professional there's a lot of shiny pennies out there um, <laughs> uh, no so, so I, I fully appreciate that okay talk to me now about okay to be the same as everyone else, the hard market the next five years, how it's going to affect you guys. Tell me about that. Okay, so the hard market. I don't know that the hard market's as hard
1: a market as everybody thinks it's going to be, right? And I'll tell you why. So we had a very productive meeting yesterday with our TPA and claims, right? And the volume of claims is down and has been down for three years. Claims inflation's doing this because Insurance claims result in pri- primarily replenishing things, cars, houses, walls, stolen stuff. Once the supply chain issues, because we work in a connected global just in time supply model, once all of those issues eke themselves out, I think the claims inflation will dip off. And if I was a smart underwriter at the moment, not that I am, but if I was, I would be underwriting and taking 20% off a claims experience and writing risks based on frequency. And I know that they take frequency into account, but I would almost be excluding um, replacement costs because they're going to fall off a cliff and they'll fall off a cliff by the middle of next year.
0: Heard it here first, people. The way the world's going to go. What do you think, Ed?
2: I think the markets. The market's got to change. I actually... um another controversial view surprise surprise I, I think this is all good for the industry because i think what this is going to do is it's kickstarting starting everything and it's forcing change and my god if if there was ever an industry that wants everything to be the same uh, we don't want anything to change we're so uh we reject change at the first opportunity that we possibly can because we're all so risk averse we're like yeah but we know this we've rolled a four on the dice if we roll it we could get a six but the four's really rather good, so we'll just keep that because we might get a three or a two. I've stolen that from the office, um, but I think it's a really good analogy for it. And they don't want the they don't want the market to change. They don't want the industry to change because it's serving them pretty well. This is going to force the market to change. It's forcing the the thing. This is pre pre hub when this was all sort of kicking off, and and it made me laugh because I was having conversations with brokers, and they were saying to me. this is ridiculous. We're having to remarket everything. We're having to take everything to market and find prices for it. And you're like, you're having to do your job. I mean, your job is to make sure every year that the client has the cover that they need at a reasonable price. You should always have been set up to enable you to do this. This shouldn't be something that you're suddenly surprised that, my goodness, we're having to have all this excess, And it actually shows how much we as an industry had started to rest on our laurels and, and actually had started to normalize things that, that weren't normal. They shouldn't have been normalised. Actually, you should always have been planning for the fact that you might have to take your entire book to market. So I think it will force change for us. Um, you know, we're, we're about stripping uh, wastage and, and particularly wasted cost out of the the broking transaction. And if prices are going up, that's going to push more people to market. So for us, we're, we're quite happy with that because. It's going, people are more interested in the value that they're receiving. They're going to be questioning it more than ever. And we're able to sit there with our, you know, completely clean hands and say, look, we've got an open back office. So our system, we don't we don't have a back office system where we hold all your information. You can see what we hold on you. You can see the emails we're sending to customer uh, to insurers about you. You can see every quote and every quote response we've received. Our hands are completely clean. We are willing to show you the open kitchen, if you will. You can watch us cooking on your behalf and you'll see that we're doing everything in your best interest. We're proactive with disclosing of our earnings. Uh, We aren't waiting for you to ask us. You'll be able to see what we're doing and you'll be able to see exactly what it's costing you. And you can then make a decision on whether it's good value because we did a study that said 76% of customers have no idea. There's over over 1,000 business owners and 76% of them said, I have no idea what I'm paying my broker for the advice or the service that I receive from them. I would ask the question, if something's a good deal, tend to shout about it. You put a big banner on the side of your building. I'll leave that there. I I think what Ed said's right. I think Ed's more
1: talking about distribution costs than the hard market, Hmm. but he's right. But the, the hard market, I think, will come and go very quickly. I also think that, the economy will start getting growth again quite quick as well. I think this will be a, a short-lived um, experience that we're living through. I hope I'm right, right? Um, I am the eternal optimist, um, and, and I I think I think I am right, actually, but I, I'm not even going to start with the B word and getting into politics, right, because it's just depressing. But, um, you know, I think we'll find a solution to that as well.
0: I, I think it's quite interesting because I think over the last three years – there's been some really major global events, the B word being one of them, the Ukraine war being one of them, COVID being one of them. I think all of those have impacted, particularly COVID, um, people's mental health, people's motivation levels, this working from home, this hybrid, this where am I, what am I doing? I think there's been lots of redundancies. I think there's mental health issues there. Um, And I think as a globe, we're going in some really weird directions in terms of entitlement, and uh, you know, I should only have to work three hours, but you should pay me this much. And this is why. So I, I think there's a whole world of things going on. Uh, what I'm really loving about what what you guys, how you come across, is it's just cutting through all that bullshit. Yes, uh, there might be claims inflation, but if your operational uh, efficiencies are top notch not really going to impact that much yes life might be really difficult and you should be paid a salary to work a reasonable amount but if you've got the right people you've got the right culture and they love what they do you're winning at that as well and I really like that about you guys and about what you're um what you're about so so thank you I suppose is what I'm trying to say thank you for coming on and having a chat with me I've really enjoyed it thank Thanks you for your time Sarah. is there anything else before we sign off that you want to say any like lessons uh, advice, even your elevator pitch.
1: Yeah, okay. So we we are broken 2.0, right? We think we can get to the point where we replace all of the human errors and omissions and, and administrative tasks and cut to the chase and give customers what they need. And that is risk advice, help with risk mitigation, and we can do it more effectively and cheaper than the incumbent markets. And what we don't think we can do it. We are doing it because we are running a book closing in on 20 million pounds in premium with about eight insurance people. Uh, whereas our competition that we sit round about is in that type of premium bracket. have got 30 insurance people and a guy that can fix your emails. We've got data scientists, automation experts, software engineers, um, and all the other twiddly bits, which is really quite funny because I can't work an iPhone properly.
0: <laughs> you and me both. And I've heard your AirPod story on the train. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm not far behind you on that. Last question for you, um, Ed. Brand. I love the colours. Where did the colours from come from? Uh, and talk to me about why brand's important. Because I love the pink in the background. Pink and purple, sorry. Thanks.
2: Attention to detail. Uh, where did the colours come from? Um, so... So my theory on marketing as a general sense is, and this this comes from a previous role I had, your biggest challenge, particularly when you're a challenger and you're trying to disrupt a market, is getting people's attention. Um, it's them knowing that you even exist. What gets someone's attention more on a timeline than something bright pink and purple that you, you just can't ignore it? I'd love to pretend it was more sophisticated than that, but it was it was what's the most eye grabbing attention grabbing modern feeling color palette that we can work with that just screams you're not going to scroll past this you're going to see it you're going to notice it and i think that's really important um it's it's just basically tapping into the scrolling culture and understanding how people engage with things in a digital world because let's Let's not kid ourselves, we're moving away as hub. We're moving towards the, the digital future. We're not trying to be a traditional, old-fashioned high street broker. It's, it's all about digitization and online. Um, so if they're going to be engaging with us online, let's do things that um, set us up to succeed in that kind of way, in that kind of an environment. So that's that's where it came from. I, love and I it. think If nothing else, you know, look, looking at Mark's shirt, if they don't want to buy insurance from us, they will be able to see us on the EasyJet check-in.
0: <laughs> and that my friends is a fabulous note to say thank you I've really enjoyed today thank you both very much thanks Sarah.
2: Thank Cheers, Sarah
0: thanks for listening to the insurance brokers podcast we'd love to hear from you and don't forget to subscribe on your chosen podcast streaming platform and check us out on youtube